Chapter 5. It was not really an island, of course. It was another rambling isle, and it had crept out of a nearby fog bank and sneaked up behind Cliff while everyone was distracted by the raising of the submarine. Although Oliver did not recognise it, it was one of the same islands which had been resting in Deepwater Bay the day his parents disappeared. He had not been able to see it from his bedroom window because the headland hid it, but Mr and Mrs Crisp had seen it as they motored away from the beach in their dinghy and had steered across towards it because they could not tell at once that it was easily the most interesting. It was tall and rocky and on its summit dark trees clustered. Among the trees stood a ruined temple, crumbly and overgrown. Around the temple towered huge stone heads with empty eyes and open mouths. They looked a bit like famous statues on Easter Island. In fact, they were where the Easter Islanders had got the idea from. This rambling isle had passed close to Easter Island long ago. Remarkable, Oliver's dad had shouted as the dinghy bounced across the waves of Deepwater Bay. Polynesian? Pre-Columbian? A whole unknown civilization declared Oliver's mum snapping photos of those weird stone heads as the dinghy swept into the island's shadow and circled it, searching for a place to land. There was a beach on the seaward side, a beach of black sand with steeps carved into the cliff behind it, winding up past crumbling walls and watchful statues to those intriguing ruins on the summit. Poor, foolish crisps. They were so eager to explore that they had not bothered to dragging their dinghy up and above the tide line, which everyone knows is one of the first rules of exploring. They just left it there upon the shining sand and ran up those stairs. The clicking of their cameras echoed among the ruins and so did the excited cries until they reached the ruined temple. It was not quite as ruined as it had looked from the sea level. Someone had put double glazing in its windows and a chimney poked from the roof, puffing out little curses of wood smoke. Oh, the island is inhabited, said Oliver's dad, trying not to sound too disappointed, although he had hoped to be the first person to discover a lost civilization. But inhabited by whom? asked the wife, imagining lost tribes, priests, kings, and ancient wisdom. That were the island shivered, that was when it shook. Earthquake, cried Mrs. Crisp. Volcano, yelled her husband. The island sank a little. Down on shore, waves circled up, beach lifted. The abandoned dinghy and carried it across the shore. Ah, uh, sorry, carried it gently out into the bay. And from the open mouths of those stone heads, there came a rustling and whispered scrambling of jostling and strange demented rustling, a strange demented jabbering that grew louder and louder as the islands started moving out to sea. And now here it stood, a few hundred yards from Cliff, with Oliver staring at it in surprise. Look at all those creepy old heads, said Iris. Cliff turned beneath them, looking. Oh dear, he rumbled. Oh no, it's the Thurston. What's the Thurston? asked Oliver. It's a very old and very bad, Cliff said. Bad men did human sacrifices in that temple on its top long ago, and the blood trickled down inside it, turned it wicked. They say it's quite hollow and rotten to the core. Oh dear. The Thurston lifted itself a little way out of the water. Massive weedy shoulders rose into the sunlight. Water drained out through the cracks and fissures in the island's sides. It mean black eyes stared hard at Cliff through the veils of failing water. A mouth like sea cave opened and a stony voice said, Nice shipwreck you have there. It's ours, Iris shouted back. We found it. Her voice sounded very small and thin and shrill in the thunder of Thurston's. It boomed again. Don't like the mermaid, though, it said. Mermaids are vulgar. Now that he came to look at the property, Oliver saw that the was wearing quite elaborate seaweed. Loads of plated seaweed 
were arranged around. Its cliffs glittering with bits of broken glass and shiny metal. Old flip-flops dangled from the branches of the dark and twisted trees. And among the rocks where the temple stood, a trawler and a rusty battleship was perched from the cliffs on either side of its face. Two big glass globes dangled in cradles of knotted rope, like earrings or bubbles on a Christmas tree. Inside the globe, something moved. Oliver snatched his rucksack and ferreted inside for his binoculars. He focused on one of those glassy danglers. The thing inside was his mum. He yelped and swung the binoculars. There inside, the other globe was Dad. The explorers seemed quite unarmed. Oliver began to jump up and down on the beach. He waved and shouted. When he looked through the binoculars again, he saw that his mum had spotted him. His dad had scribbled something in his explorer's notebook and pressed it against the inside of his glass prison for Oliver to read. How? His nose mother was scribbling too, a pressing of the note for her own glass, but the stirlstone was coming closer, ignoring the comments and backhanded compliments from the floating seaweed shouldered away through the sea. Stay away. Octopuses riddled their tentacles among its eyebrows, and a shark fell out of its nose like a fierce booby. Up on its forehead, a little platform had been built, and there a boy stood looking down. The first eye was so close by then that Oliver didn't need binoculars anymore. He could see the boy quite clearly without them. He was older than Oliver, a tall teenager balancing precariously on a green beansprout legs and about to tumble clumsily into the article. He wore sea boots and a sailor's uniform with all sorts of gold braid and medals and fancy finery all over it. When the gap of open water between Cliff and Thurston narrowed to a stone throw, the Thurston stopped in a swirl of foam and spoke again. Want it? said staring at the water mob. Up on its brow, the boy picked up a big brass megaphone and bellowed through it. My only wants that record of yours. You better hand it over. Ooh, the cheeks, squealed Iris. We found it. It's ours. You're not having my wig run with Cliff. Oliver cupped his hands around his mouth and shouted, Give me back my mum and dad! The other boy threw back his head and laughed. It was the sort of laugh that told you instantly he was not about to let poor Mr. and Mrs. Cliff go. Ha 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 ha, he cackled. So they are yours, are they? Well, you should have taken better care of them. They make numerous additions to thirst or seaweed, don't you think? But not as nice as that fine submarine your island's found. Hand it over now and spare yourself a lot of unpleasantness. Who are you anyway? asked Iris. You're very full of yourself. My name, the boy said importantly, is Stacy DeLacy. But that's a girl's name, blurted Oliver. Stacy DeLacy's face turned a dark shade of red. Silence, he shouted. Stacy's one of those names that can be a boy for a girl, like Hillary or Leslie. Um, anyway, when the night of the seaweeds roll around, my thirst will shine for the highest wig of all. That submarine, just the thing, needed to stop it off. And you won't give it to us, we'll show at the tickets. Mad, said Iris in an undertone. Quite mad. Stacy might do lazy, clapped his hands. Come, my lovelies, he shouted, and would laugh with wicked glee. From the giant statues which grinned and gurned upon the thirstless head, there came a rustling, a whispering, a scrambling, a jostling, a strange, demented jabbering. No wonder Stacy de Lacey sounded gleeful. It was quite a new feeling for him, having orders. We'd been growing up, nobody had ever taken much notice of him. His parents, who were rich and busy, barely paid him any attention. The other children at school all hated him. And why did they hate him? Well, actually, it was because he was quite nasty, boastfully bullied. But Stacy didn't realise that. He was sure it was because of his name. Stacy can be a boy's name too, he would tell them when they would laugh at it. 
they never believed him. Angry and all alone, he took long walks on the beach near his house, dreaming of the terrible revenge he would take on them all when he was older. All sorts of things washed up on the beach as Stacy DeLacy strode along with his hands in his pockets with he forever kicking aside old flip-flops, fisherman floats and plastic bottles with mysterious foreign labels. One day after a storm he found a shingle covered with stinking seaweed uprooted from some deep hollow of the seabed. It was a type of seaweed that never noticed before. It thicked up it thick stalks, each as tall as Stacy with a fat green bulb at the top. Stacy picked up one of the stalks and began cracking it like a bullwhip as he stomped along. He imagined lashing his classmates with it. Stacy's not a girl's name, he shouted. Crack! He'll be sorry when I'm famous and powerful, he yelled. Crack! Just when you hiked, he hollered. One day, Al, crack, scratch, flap. The green bulb at the end of the sea would burst and out came a splurt of dirty water and something else, something that moved, scrambling and burying its down into the tangles of dead weed that were heaped along the tide line. Stacy went closer and prodded the weed piles with his toe. Something was definitely rustling around in there. He bent down for a closer look. Suddenly, the weed was torn aside and that hideous little fangs and grinning face stared at him. Then two little web-fingered hands seized the toe of his sneaker and the creature sank its teeth into the rubber. Yow! shouted Stacy DeLacy, doing a triple backflip somersault in surprise. The creature flew off his shoe. By the time he clambered up and dusted the sand out of his eyes, it was crouching on a nearby rock. Watching him, it looked like an ugly little monkey with webbed hands and feet and greasy fur. Get lost! he yelled angrily. The sea monkey cowed and crept away over the top of the rock out of sight. Stacy was impressed. He wasn't used to people telling him what to do, telling what he told them. Come back, he shouted. The monkey reappeared. My name is Stacy DeLacy, he said, and watched the monkey suspiciously. It didn't laugh. It didn't even giggle. Stacy's not a girl's name, he said, still nothing. Feeling encouraged, he told her, you're mine, you will do everything I said. The monkey drew itself to attention and saluted. If Stacy DeLacy had been a different sort of boy, he might have thought, I found a friend. But Stacy never really wanted friends. He thought, I found a servant. <coughs> he looked around, all about him. The beach was littered with whips of strange weed, each with seagulls, sea green gold. Was there a monkey in every one? There must be loads of them. Hundreds. He picked up a strand and squeezed the bulb till it popped a little spot. Out tumbled another monkey. Excitedly, he popped another and then another. Help me, he ordered the chittering, jittering monkeys. And then they ran with him along the tie line, squeezing and popping and squeezing and popping until a whole army of sea monkeys was scuttling behind him. Stacy DeLacy knew that his parents would never let him keep anything as stinky and repulsive looking as these monkeys. Luckily, there was a particular large and slimy rock pool that he knew of around the curve of the cliffs where nobody but he, he ever went. He led the monkeys there and watched them pour into the pool. There were happy underwater as above it. They crouched in the shadows of the pool and looked up, Stacy with wicked, wary eyes. I'm your master, he said proudly. After that, Stacy DeLacy turned his thoughts to the sea. If sea monkeys were real, then what other strange things might the oceans hold? Between trips to the rock pool, he fed and gloated over his growing monkey band. He talked to sailors at the harbour. He peered at old books and secret libraries. He learned of the hallowed shallows. He learned of mermaids and drowned cities. He learned of the rambling isles and of the gathering that they had at the line of seaweeds. Monkeys are all very well, said Stacey Delacy to himself. But if I had my own rambling isles, think how powerful I'd be then. He liked the idea of roaming the world on his own island, being mean to people. 
So he started scouring the beach for interesting things the sea had washed up and leaving them above the tideline, a tall rock just offshore. If the night of the sea weeps was real, he thought no rambling I.O. would be able to resist such top-notch weak ingredients. And sure enough, one foggy evening, he heard great sloshing footsteps move through the waves towards the rock and he saw a giant shape moving in the mist. He heard the rambling isle grumbling to itself as it shifted through the pile of driftwood and old fishing nets he'd left. This stuff's no good, he heard it say. This won't help me win. Hey, Island, shouted Stacey to Lacey. The grumbling stopped. The thing in the fog stood listening. You want to win the stupid seaweeds thing? yelled Stacy. You should steal the best stuff from other islands' weeds, and if you can't do that, just nobble them. Ruin their weeds so they can't win. As luck would have it, the island Stacy was talking to was none other than the bad old Thurston, meanest of all rambling islands. The Thurston liked the way this boy thought. How? he'd ask. With my help, said Stacy, as the Thurston moved out to the fog to peer down, and he grabbed and spread his arms out proudly to show it. Heavering, jabbering swarm of monkey crowded on the shingle behind him. I have an army of monkeys, he said. That's what the green tide was pouring out of the mouths of the eyes of the first ones old stone heads rushing across the sea. Sea monkeys, small and smelly in their coats of greasy green fur, they giggled horribly as they swung towards cliff or scampered across the mats of drifting weed. Don't mind us grumbling, the weed mats, but their sea monkeys were immune to sarcasm. Up cliff's features they rushed, knocking poor iris off the rock. They sank their teeth and claws into the orange inflatable and popped it. Just for laughs, Oliver tried to stop them. He picked up monkeys and hurled them back into the sea, but they were landing all the time. They were scary and dangerous looking. They bared their dirty yellow fangs and screeched at him. The monkeys, tired, sloshed up into the cliff's boundaries, a bouldering summit and lapped around the water mole. The sea monkeys were so small that Oliver did not think they could shift the submarine, but there were so many of them that they did. The water mole lifted from its perch afloat on a sea of snot green fur. Oliver and Iris had to jump out of the way as the cluttering monkeys rushed back with it to the sea. The first one dipped down to only Stacy's balcony and the old stones in the trees around the temple show, and the monkeys swam and swirled and struggled and shoved the water mole onto the head. So long, losers, called Stacy to Lacey, waving. We'll see you at the hallowed shallows. If you still think it's worth turning up, of course. The thirst on turned and moved off. The glass orbs, which were Oliver's parents' prisons, bobbled on each side of it, towed toad on their teethers of root, with Mr. and Mrs. Chris waving sad goodbyes inside them. Sea monkeys went scurrying back to the nests in the old stone heads. The watermole shone so brightly in slanting sunlight that Oliver could see the gleam of it long after the wicked island had dwindled to a speck on the horizon. That went well, said the watching weed.